0: Welcome to this BJSM podcast, and you'll be hearing from Adam Weir. He's a sports physician originally from the UK and Netherlands, and he's been at Asparta for the last three years. And he was the chair of the organizing committee of the first World Conference on Groin Pain in Athletes. Welcome to the podcast, Adam.
1: Thanks very much, Karim. Pleasure to be here this morning.
0: We're going to talk about a couple of cases and then link those to the special issue of BJSM, where you brought together the world experts on groin pain. So let's begin with the cases. I'm going to ask you about one of the cases that are common in the clinic let's say it's a football player potentially soccer football or Australian rules or rugby and also hockey. Those type of players come in with groin pain in the inguinal region and
1: so if you take us through one of those that would be great. Yeah here at Aspetar a number of years ago we established a multidisciplinary clinic where we assess and treat the athletes with groin pain. We saw a case of a professional soccer player. He came to us because he had a gradual onset of pain in his inguinal region. The pain had started to become so bad that he was now unable to sprint with any real speed and he couldn't kick the ball with any real power anymore. When we examined him, and I think it's important to emphasize here that clinical examination is very much the the cornerstone for us of assessing the, the athletes, when we examined him, Examination of the lumbar spine and hips was unremarkable. On palpation of his inguinal canal, we could reproduce his pain. There was no palpable inguinal hernia. An examination of his adductors and his hip flexors was also unremarkable. In cases like this, we're using the the term inguinal-related groin pain to describe the diagnosis, and that's the term that's agreed on in the agreement paper that we'll discuss later that's a clinical definition in practice we won't do routine imaging we don't have a standard imaging workup for these cases we'll take that on a case by case basis so this was for us a case of inguinal related groin pain in terms of managing this we feel in our experience is that the majority of cases can be well managed conservatively we're using a, a standardized structured rehabilitation program. We've got an ongoing study being run by Roald Otten, one of our sports physical therapists, to assess the effectiveness of this program. Uh, and it involves a, a stepwise progression, increasing load and strengthening. So using mechanotherapy, a term I know you like, Karim, to, uh, to try and progress the patients and get them back to sport. And at the end of the, the rehabilitation program, we finish off with sports-specific on-field training. So in this case, soccer-specific training to get the athlete back to play. We reserve surgery uh, for cases who don't respond well to rehabilitation. And in those cases, either Dr. Vukovic or our visiting surgeons, Dr. Raboul from France or Dr. Musiwek from Germany, will perform an open repair without using any mesh and this is our preferred technique here in the Aspatar Sports Groin Pain Centre. What are the time frames for these conservative and surgical processes? A challenging question. I think time frames in general in sports medicine you have the time that you would need and the time you are given by a club or an athlete. Uh, They're often conflicting but I think in general terms, if we're talking about using structured rehabilitation programs, you have to be realistic that you're going to need, I think, at least six weeks to see a real benefit for an athlete to have a return on the investment of the, the amount of training and effort they're going to put in in one of these programs to see and feel a real improvement. Now, what are the timeframes, Adam, maybe in someone
0: who's had fairly short history And then some of the chronic challenging cases have been sent to you
1: where someone's had problems for more than a year? I think in the in the cases of short uh, duration of symptoms often if it's mid-season we'll try and manage these players without uh, stopping them from uh, from competing you can look at modifying the training load uh, doing ongoing treatments and often you won't actually need to bring them out of sport altogether and do a full rehabilitation program. We'd also try and get them to the end of the season, if possible in most cases, and then treat them post-season. The chronic case that you mentioned where someone's coming with a year-long history of pain, perhaps quite severe pain, these are the cases where I think six weeks should be regarded as the absolute minimum. And if we want to give an athlete, coach, club, a realistic expectation. We've got to be clear on this that you're probably talking more about months uh, than weeks in these cases. Now what about the time frame after surgery? For me post-operative time frames are the same. I think if we do perform surgery this should be followed in every case and that's how we do it here in Aspatar with a structured rehabilitation program to ensure that the players are strong enough and fit enough to return to play And we hope in this way that we'll achieve our aim of minimising the risk of recurrence of the symptoms. Adam, is there
0: a role for any kind of injection to speed
1: someone back to play, particularly if you're under pressure during a season? Our experience with inguinal-related groin pain is that that's quite difficult to do. So I think if we're specifically speaking about inguinal-related groin pain, then that's something we basically never do. Um, and in the cases where we have attempted it in unique circumstances, I haven't been that satisfied with the success we've achieved and to close off on England related groin pain,
0: it's interesting to consider that pathology is underlying. What is your thoughts?
1: I think when we talk about inguinal related groin pain, the only certainty we have now with regard to the underlying pathology is that it's unclear. There have been many different theories proposed. Is it a bulging of the posterior wall with nerve entrapment? Is it degeneration of the inguinal ligament? Are there tears in the external oblique fascia? Many of the different experts looking at this have found different pathologies according to their explanation. but to my mind, we don't yet have a good unifying theory to solve this one. We'll move on to the second case,
0: where someone who would be a runner and, say, a football player, and the pain's a bit more inferior, down more in the adductor region. And
1: what is your approach to that particular case in the clinic? So in the clinic, we saw together a amateur soccer player uh, who also ran three times a week? He had a, a gradual onset of pain in the left adductor region. The pain had progressed to the point where he was unable to kick with power or accelerate on the, on the football field. When we examined him, lumbar spine and hip examination was unremarkable. On palpation of the proximal adductors up at the insertion, you could reproduce his pain and resisted adduction testing and stretching of the adductors on the left also reproduced his pain. Examination of the inguinal region, the pubic symphysis and of the hip flexors in his case was unremarkable. In this case we use the term once again in agreement with the agreement paper uh, adductor related groin pain. Just as with the inguinal related groin pain this is a term used to describe the diagnosis based solely on clinical features, and in the clinic we don't do any routine imaging in these cases either. Once we make the diagnosis adductor-related groin pain, just as with the inguinal-related groin pain, we use a structured rehabilitation program to treat the vast majority of these patients. We use the program that Per Holmick published in The Lancet in 1999, So we have level 1 evidence of the efficacy of this treatment protocol above passive modalities. Again, just as with the inguinal-related groin pain, we have to be realistic that some longer time frames are involved. And if the treatment would stagnate at any stage or after a long period of conservative treatment, that would be the time that we would consider other therapeutic options.
0: And what do you mean by a long period of time, and let's talk about the other options?
1: The adductor-related groin pain treatment protocol as described by Per in the paper requires that you would perform that for a minimum of eight weeks. In cases where there's failure to progress or we're going on past that time frame, then we'll consider alternative therapies. In cases where you would have a unilateral shortening of the adductors, a feeling of subjective tightness uh, or a high muscle tone in the adductors, or in recreational athletes who can't get motivated enough or find enough time to do an intensive rehabilitation, then we'll consider manual therapy or manipulative techniques, which was the subject of my PhD that you mentioned in the introduction. and. In very resistant cases, we would consider the use of either corticosteroid injections or surgery. Which injection and which surgical options? For the injections, I think we have to be clear that corticosteroids are detrimental to uh, tendon tissue and actually damaging, but there can be circumstances in which an athlete might accept this risk to have the short-term pain reduction in the knowledge that long-term it's not going to help them recover. Surgery, when we perform surgery here, we're, we're performing partial tenotomy, uh, again performed either by Dr. Vukovic or Dr. Raboul. And once again, just as in the inguinal-related groin pain, this is always followed once again by a structured rehabilitation program to make sure that the athlete has the required level of endurance strength and sport-specific training before returning them to the field of play. Now, Routinely, you don't use imaging, but when would you use imaging and what would you look for? I think probably the the most frequent reason for us to perform imaging is what I would call a social indication for imaging, when there'll be a request from an athlete or an agent, pressure from the club, very high-level athletes where there's an expectation to perform imaging. And we have to be realistic that this is sometimes grounds to perform, for example, an MRI. On an MRI, there are many changes that could be seen, but we know also uh, from recent papers in the British Journal of Sport Medicine from Sonja Bransi, a Danish radiologist, that many of these changes are also found in asymptomatic soccer players. I think uh, some of the changes that are, often quoted, we also know that the reliability of assessing these signs on MRI is poor. For example, adductor tendinopathy, and for me, adductor tendinopathy, a cleft sign, we don't actually yet know the real clinical meaning. If we see this, will they respond differently to treatment? If we see these changes, will the treatment take longer? In my mind, these are still unanswered questions. And just before
0: we leave these nitty-gritty practical
1: questions, which are important, for the inguinal region pain, there may be normal imaging. I think in the majority of cases of inguinal-related groin pain, imaging of the inguinal region will be normal. And as I mentioned, talking about the MRI, there's a high prevalence of findings in the pubic symphysis, bone marrow edema, you name it. So if we're imaging soccer players, for sure we're going to find this in many, many cases but we want to follow the clinical picture.
0: Thanks, Adam. And I alert the listener that uh, he or she can follow you on Twitter at Adam Weir Sports, where you put up useful links and your conference presentations that folks can click through and follow the PowerPoint slides. also alert listeners to the second podcast with you about the Doha Agreement meeting, where you explain how 23 of the world experts got together to try to, clarify this challenging clinical area. Thanks for listening to the BJSM podcast and we encourage you to download the mobile app to readily access these sports medicine resources.